0: You know, I think uh, among the things that I love about you all as a church is the variety of people who call this place home. We are from a wide variety of backgrounds and histories, and I see uh, deep, deep relational bonds between some of the most unlikely pairs and groups of people. <laughs> it's been powerful to watch. Nowhere else in society uh do I think you can see the kind of uh, interesting connections that have come about in our church or churches like ours. And I really believe that's the evidence of the power of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit among us. And I really think it's something that the Bible calls brotherhood. It's just brotherhood. It's spiritual bond. It's spiritual fellowship. I think some of you know that having a true brother or sister in Christ is one of the most amazing and valuable things that can happen in our lives. Yes? Yes. Having someone who shares your heart, shares your perspective to a substantial degree, shares your view of life, having someone who knows your dreams and has also heard your sins. That's That's a brother. That's a sister. Having someone who always has your back but is also never afraid to get in your face. You know what I'm talking about? A brother not only has your back, but they're not afraid to get in your face. Having a true brother or sister in Christ is also one of the most difficult relationships to sustain over time, isn't it? Have you noticed? Yes or no? <laughs> having a true brother or sister in Christ with that spiritual bond is one of the most difficult relationships to sustain over time, mostly because I think the devil hates it. The devil hates this about believers. And I think, if you think about it, love and unity is the church's superpower, and malice and division is our kryptonite. Think about that. Love and unity. That's our power. That was the power of the first century church. That's our power today. Brotherhood, sisterhood. This is our superpower. And malice and division is our kryptonite. I want to give you just a few thoughts about brotherhood this morning. We're in summer shorts, so listen fast. This may be the shortest of all. I want to give you a few thoughts about brotherhood this morning that I hope you'll find helpful. First, that true brotherhood is one of God's highest hopes for his people. True brotherhood. Not false brotherhood. Not pretending. But true spiritual fellowship between brothers, between sisters, is is one of God's highest hopes for his people. In Psalm 133, Kathy Jones, as you're writing this down, (laughs) I can't help but pick. Psalm 133, the Bible says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. This is the expression of God. How good and pleasant it is. When brothers live together in unity. It's good and pleasant for the brothers. It's good and pleasant for God. And it talks in a couple of verses about this being like God just pouring himself down on his people. When brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head. And the end of that psalm says, For there the Lord bestows blessing, even life evermore. As the church is unified, as the church lives in brotherhood, As the church receives the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to live in this kind of spiritual bonding, this kind of spiritual fellowship, that's a place where the Lord pours out His Spirit. It's one of God's highest hopes for His people. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, If you're offering your gift at the altar, listen very carefully to this, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So, higher in the priority structure to God than worship is reconciliation between brothers and sisters in Christ. Higher than worship. You would think that would be God's highest aim for His people that we would worship him. But he's saying, if while you're worshiping, what does it say? There you remember that your brother has something against you. Not there you remember that everybody isn't happy with you. We'll get to that. (laughs) But there you remember that your brother legitimately has something against you. You see, when you're in worship, you're in the context of the flow of the Holy Spirit, aren't you? And you're in this kind of communication. You're in this kind of giving and receiving. You're in this kind of speaking and you're in this kind of hearing. And so while you're in worship, don't be surprised if stuff comes into your head that you go, where did that come from? You're in the context of the move of the Holy Spirit. And if, this says, if in the context of the move of the Holy Spirit as you worship God, God makes evident to you that your brother, your sister, has a legitimate complaint against you, that you realize that you have sinned against them. Not that all is not well in the world, not that everybody isn't happy with you, but when it comes to you, it says, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Now, how many of you leaders in the church know that you're not always going to make everybody happy, right? Yeah, that's not what it's talking about. But it's talking about anybody who realizes in that context, that's right. That's right, Lord. That's right. I have sinned against my brother. I have sinned against my sister. The Lord says, stop worshiping. A more important thing for you to do at that point would be to go leave your gift... So, after the offering. It's in in the Bible, right? (laughs) You can mail it in if you have to go early. (laughs) Leave your gift. Your gift is your worship, of course. Leave your gift. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. So first just recognize that the scriptures are clear that true brotherhood is one of God's highest hopes for his people. Second, notice there will be broken relationships along the way. I'm going to kill this fly. (laughs) There will be broken relationships along the way. You know there's actually more teaching about relational conflict in the New Testament than there is about how to go to heaven I mean substantially more teaching in the New Testament about relational conflict and the resolution of relational conflict than there is about how to go to heaven. I would say that that's a pretty clear indication that we're going to have broken relationships along the way, that this is going to be part of the experience. Why? Because it's one of God's highest aims for us that we have brotherhood, So it's going to be one of the devil's most strategic targets to break it. Yes? Of course. Jesus only used the word church twice. And both times were in the context of conflict. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said to Peter, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church... And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, what's the implication there? But that the gates of hell are going to come toward the church. They're going to come against the church. The devil is targeting the church. For, among other things, malice and division. Because it's our kryptonite. It takes away our power. But he says that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In Matthew chapter 18 is the other time that Jesus used the word church. And in verses 15 and 16, he's talking about how to resolve conflict between brothers. And he says, if a brother sins against you, go to your brother. Don't go talk about your brother. Go to your brother. Go to your sister. And say, I believe you have sinned against me. Now, if your hope is vindication, you know, you might as well stay home. But if your heart is for reconciliation, God will bless that. And if you go and say, you have sinned against me, I am holding this against you. And that's the first step. The Bible says if the person says, I don't care what you have to say, take someone another brother with you, another sister with you. You see, it's about damage control, isn't it? You start, maybe Dennis and I can work it out. Maybe when Dennis comes to me and says, you've sinned against me, I will say, "Ah, you're right, forgive me. Done! But if not, maybe he needs to bring Charlie. And maybe the two brothers coming to me, In the context of a Holy Spirit relationship, I go, ah, forgive me. Done. But there is an escalation of how to deal with it where if this person does not respond to a true sin that's been committed against a person, that they're to be brought in front of the whole church. And these are the ways that Jesus talked about it. But I I think... Those of you who are familiar with this progression in Matthew chapter 18 uh, may have stopped reading too soon. Because it says, you know, do this, do this, do this, do this, in 15, 16, 17. And then when you get to 19 and 20, just a couple of verses, which are all part of the same thing that Jesus is saying in context. He says... Uh, Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And then he said, For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. How many of you have heard those two verses? How many of you immediately think of them in context with conflict resolution? Probably not. We hear these two things as though they're not attached. And Jesus is begging us to be reconciled One to another, why? Because if we will agree, then nothing will be impossible for us. It's our superpower. Because if we will come back to a reconciliation and agreement, there the Holy Spirit will come. The presence of God will come again. But there will be broken relationships along the way. Number three, you cannot make people reconcile with you. You can only do your part. Have you noticed this? Your heart is broken over a broken relationship. Nothing would please you more than to be reconciled to that brother, to that sister. Trouble is, have you noticed that when you got it all scripted out in your mind, that they don't always know their lines? And the things you anticipated, I'll say this, and they'll say that, and then I'll say this, and they'll, and maybe even worked out an A, B, C, sort of, and they're like on Z. We can't make people reconcile with us. We can only do our part. Sometimes people are not ready to reconcile. They need more time. And I think one of the things to always keep in mind when you're going to someone to try to be reconciled with someone you feel has sinned against you is, of course, we always want to try to keep in mind, what is, has what is that person been through in their life that has contributed to their having done whatever they have done? It doesn't reduce the responsibility for doing it, but it gives a context for giving time for reconciliation. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul said, as much as it is possible, catch the, <laughs> these two qualifiers, as much as it is possible, and as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. As much as it's possible, and as much as it depends on you, you can't make them do their part. Live at peace with all men. But I think if you reflect, if you reflect on troubled relationships between brothers sisters, broken relationships between brothers and sisters, If you reflect, you'll understand your part. You'll understand your part. And God will make that clear to you. So, as much as it is possible, because you don't know whether the other person wants to be reconciled, and as far as it depends on you, take responsibility for your part, live at peace with all men. And then the last thing I think that is so important to remember in terms of brotherhood is that your goal in this is not to make everyone like you. I think we sometimes confuse genuine brotherhood with personal popularity. Yeah? Jesus said in Luke 6 26, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. (laughs) He says, Watch out! when everybody's saying good things about you. I have never had to worry about that. (laughs) Woe to you! When all men speak well of you, he said, the next thing is, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. False prophets are very good at just saying things that never bother anybody. That's what false prophets do. But true prophets, true prophets, they, they don't compromise the standards of truth in order to keep people happy. And your goal in brotherhood is not to put your head down on the pillow and go, Oh, my whole home group likes me. Oh, thank you, Lord. That's a good day, I suppose. I don't know if I've ever even had a home group where everybody liked me. (laughs) And it's not your goal to say, Oh, look at me, Lord. Everybody thinks I'm wonderful. (laughs) That's not the goal. That's not brotherhood. Because when when we do that, somewhere along the line, we must have compromised the standards of truth. We must have called, not called sin, sin. This is so tricky, isn't it? Because the things that the Bible points out as sin, I'm always so, so reluctant to talk about individual kinds of sin for two reasons. One is when I do in a public setting, happy to talk about it privately, in a public setting, the devil uses that to interrupt my audience with that particular kind of sinner. And they go, well, there you go. I knew he didn't love me. God doesn't love me either. Not true. I love you, sinner. (laughs) I love you, sinner. I love you. Fill in your blank. Doesn't matter what's in the blank. Doesn't matter how bad it is. Doesn't matter. I love you. I love you. Please listen, because... More important than that, God loves you, and the gospel is for you. How do I know that? Because I'm a sinner, and the gospel's for me. I got stuff in my blank. And so when I just start focusing on what's in the blank, the individual behavioral sins, two bad things happen. One is that the person who's in that blank Feels judged, feels categorized, feels profiled, feels marginalized. And the other thing that happens, which is almost worse, is that the self righteous person among us who doesn't have that in their blank goes, Nah, I told you that was sin. I just think it's interesting that as a church, In general, capital C in America, that we're really willing to sort of um, focus on sins that most of us don't have. We need to talk more about this. Why? Because I don't have that. (laughs) Why don't you talk about this? Why do you want me to talk about that? Well, it's wrong and i don't have it. And the bible says that if we stumble in one point of the law, we were guilty of it all. Is there anybody here by a show of hands who has not stumbled in at least one point in the law? You're about to become the senior pastor if you raise your hand. So be careful. But in the context of individual relationship, if Jeff, we are brothers, we have to not only be willing to have each other's back, but we don't compromise the standards of truth so that we're afraid to get in each other's face either, right? There are several things I've been meaning to talk with you about. (laughs) No. No. Beware when all men speak well of you, for that's how their fathers treated the false prophets. It's brotherhood. I think the reason God calls us to live in as much unity as possible is because that no matter what, we actually are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all attached by the blood of Jesus to the very same name. Behavior or not if we have an authentic confession of Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're attached, we're related. Can't pick your relatives, can you? (laughs) And so I think all the call of God to say, be reconciled, is because we are brothers and sisters. sisters. Nothing's going to change that. As much as it is possible... And as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. You know, I'm sure that when we pass from this life to the next, there's a lot of stupidity that's going to fall off of us, right? (laughs) There's a lot of stuff that we find difficult with each other that's going to go, Did you see Jesus? Right? Right? And this is how we get beyond this stuff. We look at Jesus. We look at Jesus. We look at Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, and as we are now, by His blood, by His cross, by the power of His resurrection, by the reality of His sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us as the only begotten Son of God, and we are now, we are now adopted sons and daughters of the living God through his work, he is our big brother. So, Vladimir, you're stuck with me. Not only today, but forever. (laughs) So if we ever get issues, we should work them out, right? Because we're going to be in heaven together for a really long time, right? (laughs) Today, as we receive communion... I want you just to think about the table you're being invited to. It's the Lord's table. It's the table set by your Savior and your big brother, if you'll have that phrase, Jesus. It's a family table. And when you come to this table, you're saying, I recognize that by the blood of Christ, I am brother, I am sister to every one of these other people. Some of these people you may like more than others if you ever get a chance to know them. That's normal. Some of these people there might have lifestyle issues, behaviors that you go, ah, that's normal. But in the, at the end of the day, that sounds pretty much like a family. Right? Makes us brothers, makes us sisters. Father in heaven, as we bow before you now in the mighty name of Jesus, with grateful hearts. that.